Would you open the scriptures with me to Jeremiah chapter 25, beginning at verse 15. This is one of those difficult passages in the scriptures that Pastor John was speaking about. This continues our series on Jeremiah chapter 25, beginning at verse 15. Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, 25. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send it, send you, drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom he sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a ruin and an object of horror and scorn and cursing as they are today. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his attendants, his officials, and all his people, and all the foreign people there, all the kings of Uz, all the kings of the Philistines, those of Ascalon, Gaza, Ekron, and the people left at Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and Ammon, all the kings of Tyre and Sidon, the kings of the coastlands across the sea, Dedan, Timah, Buzz, and all who are in distant places, all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the foreign people who live in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, Elam, and Media and all the kings of the north, near and far, one after the other, all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. And after all of them, the king of Shishak will drink it too. Then tell them, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, drink, get drunk and vomit, and fall to rise no more because of the sword I will send among you. But if they refuse to take the cup from your hand and drink, tell them, this is what the Lord Almighty says, you must drink it. See, I am beginning to bring disaster on the city that bears my name. And will you indeed go unpunished? You will not go unpunished, for I am calling down a sword upon all who live on the earth, declares the Lord Almighty. Now prophesy all these words against them and say to them, the Lord will roar from on high. He will thunder from his holy dwelling, the roar and roar mightily against his land. He will shout like those who tread the grapes, shout against all who live on the earth. The tumult will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord will bring charges against the nations. He will bring judgment on all mankind and put the wicked to the sword, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Look, disaster is spreading from nation to nation. A mighty storm is rising from the ends of the earth. At that time, those slain by the Lord will be everywhere, from one end of the earth to the other. They will not be mourned or gathered up or buried, but they will be like refuse lying on the ground. Weep and wail, you shepherds. Roll in the dust, you leaders of the flock. For your time to be slaughtered has come. You will fall and be shattered like fine pottery. The shepherds will have nowhere to flee. The leaders of the flock, no place to escape. Hear the cry of the shepherds, the wailing of the leaders of the flock, for the Lord is destroying their pasture. 
The peaceful meadows, meadows will be laid waste because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Like a lion, he will leave his lair, and their land will become desolate because of the swords of the oppressor and because of the Lord's fierce anger. The word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning as we gather for worship, we were reminded once again of God's grace in the lives of his people as we witnessed Deanna and Rachel professing their faith, professing that they accept God's promises sealed to them in their baptism. And it's always exciting when we understand something of who the Lord is and something of what it means that we are his children by grace. And then Pastor Darren talked about grace in the life of the Christian Reformed Church and our desire to expand that for people to know that. Grace, what a concept, what a word. By sheer grace, says the Heidelberg Catechism, God grants to us forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace granted solely by Christ's merit. Now that's something to stand still for and something to ponder. The prayer in the form for profession of faith asks the Lord this, may those who confessed your name today never cease to wonder at what you have done for them and we could add by sheer grace. And those of you who have made profession of faith may have heard me say those words to you as I approached you when you were on the front pew here receiving uh, the, 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 the sentiments from the congregation. You see, our adoption into the family of God has nothing to do with us being so good or us having done exceptional things. Our adoption as children of the Lord and our accepting that and making it known to others, our bearing the name Christian has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with Jesus Christ. We received our status in spite of the fact that we did not deserve it. That was one of the themes of the Protestant Reformation. This is the 500th anniversary of that Reformation. But sola gratia, by grace alone. Deanna and Rachel, don't ever forget that. Marvel at it. All the promises that the Lord made to you in your baptism in which your parents and the Christian community have taught you are yours. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. And that's exciting. And that's worth considering and tossing about in your mind and heart. It's worth giving thanks for with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. One of the wonders of the Christian faith is precisely this point. God chooses us in spite of our sinfulness and weakness. And then our living as Christians is a life of response to that wondrous grace 
that amazing grace of our Lord. To God be the glory. Now this morning I wanted to begin with a reminder of God's amazing grace that saved a wretch like me because of the passage of scripture that we read as we continued our study of Jeremiah. It's a dark passage. It's a passage that speaks once again like previous passages of judgment, this time not only against the house of Israel, but against the nations of the world. You see, at the heart of this doctrine of salvation sola gratia, by grace alone, writes Dr. Lyle Bierman in an article in the most recent Calvin Seminary Forum, is not only the nature of God, but the condition of humanity. God's grace is so amazing because we are so in need of it. And this 12th sermon of Jeremiah only drives home the point of how badly we are in need of it. As I said, this is a very, very dark passage, much in line with what came before in the prophecy of Jeremiah. In fact, we might say that chapter 5 is the summary warning of impending judgment, as it were, not only to Judah in chapter, verses 1 through 14, but then an expanded warning of impending judgment for all the nations, verse 15 through 38. The dating of this section of Jeremiah is precise. It takes place in the fourth year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the first year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, so 605 B.C. The Babylonians had won a decisive victory over the Egyptians at the Battle of Carchemish, making them the unchallenged champions of the Mediterranean world. Jeremiah's prophecy of the overturned boiling pot received from the Lord, you may remember at the time of his calling to serve as a prophet, was indeed coming to pass. God's judgment was coming closer, and as you move through this book, you can hear his footsteps coming closer and more loudly all the time. The call to repentance on is for Israel was more urgent than ever. And in, in verses 3 through 7 of chapter 5, we read a summary of Jeremiah's message of the past 23 years of ministry. Throughout the last 23 years of ministry, I have persisted in calling you as God's people to turn from your wicked ways and serve the Lord. But throughout all those 23 years, the people had consistently refused to listen and repent. Instead, they lusted after other gods. They broke their vows and they committed adultery. And since Judah had persistently ignored God's warning, judgment was coming and it would come at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, at the hands of the Babylonians. In verses 5 through 15 through 38, Jeremiah, speaking the word of the Lord, now looks beyond God's judgment on his people, on Judah and on Israel, to a day when all the nations of the earth would be brought before the judgment seat of God. 
Now, this was not out of character for this prophet because he was, according to chapter 1, verse 10, anointed to be a prophet to all nations. As Abraham Kuyper put it, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! And since there is not a square inch over which he does not cry, Mine! There is not a king or a kingdom or a government which falls outside of his lordship. The Lord, the ruler of all, the creator of all, will hold everyone to account. And so beginning with Jerusalem, as you see in verses 18 and following, and then following a geographical order beginning in the south with Egypt and concluding with Babylon in the north, all are commanded to take the cup from his hand and drink. Oh, it's a frightening thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Trying to make sense out of this imagery here in chapter 25, Reverend Henry DeMoor Sr. in his devotional, Where Are You?, suggests that Jeremiah didn't go, of course, to all the nations and hold out a cup to all of them, but he suggests that the Lord told Jeremiah to put on a play, as it were, entitled, Take from my hand this cup. This is quite in line with all the sorts of images and visuals throughout the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was not allowed to be married, and then he had to also wear a yoke at a certain point to talk about slavery. In this place, it's a play, and DeMoor suggests that chapter Jeremiah in chapter 25 is told to stage a play probably near the temple. And Jeremiah's faithful co-workers are asked to play the various roles in this play. Each of them is to represent a country or a kingdom or a nation representing the ancient Near East. And then the actors are then told to come to Jeremiah and to take a cup filled with wine from Jeremiah's hand and drink the contents to the last dregs. And they're called upon to play their part well because a message is being sent to the kingdoms being represented. And so each was told to drink and drink and drink some more until they literally got drunk and staggered about and even vomited and finally fell down not only to, not to get up anymore. And the cup that they, of wine that they were drinking was a cup of God's wrath a picture often used in the Bible to talk about God's judgment. And so, for example, in Isaiah 5, 17, we read these words, Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem. Have you drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes men stagger? Demur writes, if you think of all this, if you picture this in your mind, this play going on, it's quite a spectacle. In the end, they all lie, they all end up lying around in their own dirt, too drunk to get up anymore. And then the message is driven home to those watching the play. Because of their sinfulness, their idolatry, their adultery, their disregard for the word of the Lord and for the Lord himself, the Lord, their covenant God. Judgment, terrible judgment was to befall them. 
They would be lost, staggering about, staggering under the blows of the enemy. They would drink the cup of God's judgment and there would be absolutely no escape. And not only would God's people experience his wrath, but all the nations of the earth. God is a righteous and just God. When he created, he made it all perfectly. We messed up as human beings and now all of the human race is held accountable and will have to drink the cup of God's judgment. No one, not a single human being, can stand in the presence of the Lord of the, of the universe. Says Psalm 130, O Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? And the answer to that rhetorical question, of course, is no one. No one can stand. The testimony of Scripture is there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And because this is so, it's a command. Take from my hand the cup of wrath. And drink it, even the dregs. And the end result is that no one will stand before the Lord, graphically illustrated by the group of drunken people in Jeremiah's play who are lying in the dirt. Who preaches like this today? It's hard to imagine this sort of sermon, especially in our love-focused understanding of the gospel. Everything's good. This sort of preaching reminds us of the hellfire and damnation preachers of old. Can you imagine that I handed you a cup of God's wrath and told you to drink it until all of you were drunk to the point that you couldn't stand anymore and I would do that to make a point? It's shocking to think about, on the other hand, with the anemic ways in which the call to repentance goes out these days. I can't help but wonder if there are more dramatic ways to present the gospel than some of the methods we use today. But then, in spite of all the drama performed by Jeremiah, the people didn't exactly repent and change. Israel was unfaithful and the consequences were severe. Seventy years of exile in Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty says, and he's depicted at the, toward the end of the chapter as a lion leaving his lair, and this is not a safe lion. Look, disaster is spreading from nation to nation. A mighty storm is rising from the ends of the earth. And then look at how complete and terrible the judgment to come will be. Verses 35 through 38, there will be slaughter. I caught a piece of the film Hercules, and there's a guy who's got this chariot with all these swords on it, and he just blasts through the enemy, and all that's left is a field of bodies. Made me think of this. People will be like shattered pottery. 
Nobody will be left, so there won't be any wailing and, and no place to escape on the part of the shepherds, the national leaders. Peaceful meadows will be destroyed, the land will be desolate, and the fierce anger of the Lord will be felt throughout the land and among the nations of the world. The impending disaster will be incredible, all because of the sinfulness of people. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath. There is no choice. Psalm 98, 9 says, He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Perhaps this is also what the Apostle Peter had in mind when he wrote in 1 Peter 4, 17, For the time is coming that judgment must begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath. Really? Really, Lord? I know I deserve it, but I, I really don't want to drink it. It's too much. It's too harsh. It's too terrible. Your judgment, O oh Lord, is too much for us. Have mercy. Remember that the prophecy of Jeremiah, though dark and bitter, nonetheless is filled with hope. For remember, we've been hearing it over and over again. God does not abandon his covenant people. And remember what I said earlier when quoting Dr. Lyle Bierman. At the heart of the doctrine of salvation sola gratia is not only the nature of God, but the condition of humanity. God's grace is so amazing because we are, in so, we are so in need of it. The condition of humanity is grave. The nature of God is just. But it's also gracious. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath. That statement makes us think immediately of the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus knelt and prayed, My Father, if it be possible, may this cup be taken from me. And then Luke records, Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. No wonder! Our Lord Jesus shrank from the cup. He didn't want to drink the cup of God's wrath against our sins. He knew what the cost would be. And that only goes to show how terrible our sins are and how terrible God's wrath is. But in spite of the fact that Jesus shrank from drinking the cup of God's wrath, Nonetheless, he also understood that it was impossible not to drink it. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken from me unless I drink it, may your will be done, not as I will, but as you will. The Lion of Judah, the roaring, devouring lion, 
became the lamb who was slain, where Jesus was arrested, dragged before the authorities, tried, beaten, crucified, and when he hung on the cross, straddled between heaven and earth, not wanted by either, he drank the venomous cup to the very dregs. He drank, as it were, the full measure of God's wrath. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't take it. How great was his agony. How great was his suffering. We deserve to drink it, but Jesus drank it in our place. And as one writer put it, once in the hands of Christ, it became an empty cup, so we don't have to drink. Because Jesus drank, the cup is empty, and we don't have to drink it, and all of it by grace, sheer grace. Take from my hand this cup, says Jesus, as we come to the table of the Lord this morning. Drink all of it to the very dregs. Remember and believe that Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for you and for me and for all who believe so we don't have to. From a cup filled with poison and judgment and venom to a cup of the new covenant in Jesus' blood. From a cup of judgment to a cup of victory. For Jesus, the cup was hard. Oh, so hard. For us, it is sweet. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and that his gift of new life is sweet. Oh, so sweet. And in doing so, may we never cease to wonder at what God has done for his people by sheer grace. Amen. Father in heaven, what a passage. What a passage. From venom to a sweet taste, from judgment to forgiveness, from hardness to sweetness, from sadness to joy. Lord Jesus, you made all the difference. We are so grateful that you went all the way to the cross, that you died for us, that you rose again, that you won the victory. May we never cease to stand in wonder at your incredible grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.